This is Digital Asset Tax Talk with KPMG, a series about breaking down areas of uncertainty, strategies to manage tax risk, recent legislative proposals and IRS guidance, and other hot topics in the taxation of digital assets. Hello and welcome. I'm Tony Toots, leader of KPMG's Digital Asset Practice. I'm joined today by Pete Ritter and Josh Tompkins from KPMG's Washington National Tax Group. We're going to spend some time today talking about a very hot topic in the cryptocurrency currency industry, and that is staking. So, before digging into the particulars of staking, Pete, perhaps you can give us a high-level overview of how cryptocurrencies work generally. Sure, Tony. Thank, thanks much. Um, yeah, to, to, to understand staking, you need to have a basic understanding of how uh, cryptocurrencies work, you know, generally. And uh, crypto transactions, you know, they function on blockchains, which are, are decentralized in the sense that they, they use a, a so-called peer-to-peer model. And, you know, with this model, there's, there's no need for a centralized entity or person to, to validate uh, a given transaction or, or keep track of uh, cryptocurrency ownership. And instead, uh, all of that work is done by computers or, or nodes uh, on the network using what's uh, uh, sometimes referred to as a consensus mechanism. And that's you know basically an algorithm uh, that allows all the computers to agree or you know form a consensus uh, on a proposed transaction or, or current ownership. Uh, without the need for a, a neutral uh, referee. And the way it works is as follows. You know, a, a given transaction is first uh, broadcast to the network, and then it's verified or validated uh, using cryptography. And, and that's, you know, encryption and decryption uh, through a, a so-called mining or staking uh, consensus process. And, and once confirmed, uh, each transaction is, is then recorded with other transactions in a, in a quote-unquote block uh, of computer code that is then added and linked to previous blocks uh, to form a chain. And that's why we uh, some, you, some, you hear the term uh, blockchain. Uh, the updated ledger is then distributed uh, across uh, the network such that all computers uh, on the network are, are constantly verifying that the blockchain uh, is accurate. Great. So mining and staking seems to be the two main consensus mechanisms currently utilized. Josh, can you tell us more about mining and staking? So like you said, Tony, mining and staking are the two methods used to validate a transaction on a blockchain network. Um, Mining, which is done on a proof-of-work blockchain, is the original validation process, and people generally associate it with Bitcoin. Essentially, in a proof-of-work mining system, the first miner to solve a cryptographic puzzle um, to validate a transaction is rewarded with newly minted or created cryptocurrency, and in some cases also receive a share of transaction fees. Staking, which is done on a proof-of-stake blockchain, is what we are focused on today, and at a very high level, under a proof-of-stake consensus mechanism, validators contribute or lock up or, or stake their own crypto in exchange for a chance of getting the opportunity to validate a new transaction, update the blockchain, and earn a staking reward. Staking rewards generally consist of newly created cryptocurrency, um, but in some cases they might also include transaction fees paid by users. 
In, in terms of how taxpayers or, or market participants do this, there, there are a few different ways. Um, so you can stake directly by running a node, um, but you can also employ another party to stake on your behalf through a non-custodial staking arrangement. Um, in, in that type of arrangement, cryptocurrency is delegated to another validator in exchange for a portion of the staking rewards. Other options include custodial staking, where a custodial uh, uh, market participant actually takes possession of the cryptocurrency and shares a portion of the rewards. Um, and then there's also liquid staking, where a taxpayer exchanges their cryptocurrency for a tokenized version of the staked asset. So now with that background, Josh, what are the tax consequences for those that engage in staking? Well, there are quite a few things to think about, and uh, like most things in crypto, the answers aren't entirely clear. Um, for example, to, to stake on the Ethereum blockchain, you must first convert ETH to ETH 2.0, which raises uh, an initial question of whether or not that conversion could be taxable. Uh, on that point, taxpayers may find comfort in the IRS FAQs, which state that a soft fork um, or a fork that does not result in a split in the blockchain is not a taxable event. So in other words, because taxpayers are converting ETH to ETH 2.0, um, will only have one currency before and after the conversion, the FAQs would seem to indicate that that is not a taxable transaction. Other important considerations uh, include the time at which staking rewards should be included in taxable income, um, and also the character of such income. As the timing, the IRS is of the view that uh, a proof-of-work mining reward constitutes gross income equal to its fair market value when received. This position was set forth in a 2014 IRS notice. Um, for staking, there is no official IRS guidance, but many take the view that staking rewards should be treated in a similar manner to mining rewards uh, and therefore ought to be gross income when received. There is, however, an alternative theory. Um, re recall that staking rewards generally consist of newly created cryptocurrency. Under this alternative theory, commonly referred to as the self-created property characterization, staking rewards are treated as being created by the staker and are therefore not subject to tax until sold. The idea here is that simply creating property is not a taxable event. For example, a farmer isn't taxed on his or her grown crop. Rather, the taxable event occurs only later when the crop is sold. Same for a musician, artist, or writer. They are not taxed when the recording is finished, a piece of art is created, or a manuscript is written. Only later when, when those properties are sold is tax assessed. Obviously, um, the relevance of this theory depends to some extent on the characteristics of the blockchain in question and, and whether or not the reward system relies on newly created property. But it is a theory that, that is out there. Um, it, it has received quite a bit of press recently on account of a case being litigated in the Tennessee District Court. The taxpayers in that case, um, the Jarrett's, sought a refund of roughly $4,000 in connection with taxes uh, paid on staking rewards. And their argument um, for, for the refund request was essentially the, the self-created property theory. Um, 
The IRS ultimately did grant the refund, but it didn't provide any rationale or analysis or indication that it agreed with the taxpayer's position. So the answer here remains unclear. In addition to timing, the other basic consideration is character. In that respect, um, the answer depends to some extent on which of the two theories I've described are adopted. So with the immediate income theory, the receipt of a staking reward would give rise to ordinary income equal to the value of the cryptocurrency received. For many taxpayers, the later sale of a staking reward would likely produce capital gain or loss. That is, uh, even if the staking reward is ordinary income when received, in many cases, the later sale would involve the sale of a capital asset, especially if one looks at Section 1221 of the Code, which defines capital asset. Um, under the self-created property characterization, the, perhaps the entire staking reward would be characterized as capital gain because there isn't a, any assess, accession of taxes until the reward is sold. Timing and character are really just the tip of the iceberg, though. There are a host of other issues, including whether a taxpayer is engaged in a trade or business, whether delegated staking creates a deemed partnership, and whether the exchange of cryptocurrency for a liquid staking token is taxable. Uh, and that's just to name a few. The analysis of these issues is often fact-specific, and different taxpayers could certainly have different treatments depending on the scale of their activities, the blockchain they're staking on, how they're staking, and whether staking is undertaken with a view towards long-term appreciation or an immediate sale of the staking rewards. Thanks, Josh. So there's definitely a lot to consider there. So having talked about some of the general tax considerations around staking, Pete, maybe you could describe some of the tax considerations that might exist for special classes of investors, such as foreign and tax-exempt investors. Sure, Tony. Yeah, this is where things get uh, interesting here as well. Um, you know, for, for foreign investors, there, there are essentially two goals uh, here. The, you know, the first is to uh, not be engaged in a, a U.S. trader business so as to avoid, uh, you know, full-blown net income tax uh, in the U.S. And, uh, and a corresponding tax return filing obligation. Um, and, and the second is to not be subject to the 30% uh, withholding tax. Uh, that's imposed in the U.S. on certain types of, of U.S. source uh, passive income, which is sometimes referred to as uh, FDAP. So, you know, there are basically two issues here with staking. You know, that is, can this can staking result in a, in a U.S. trader business? And if not, uh, are the staking rewards uh, U.S. source FDAP and, and subject to 30% uh, withholding? Um as to the U.S. trader business issue, if if one is self-staking, uh, as we described, it, it it seems as if there's a real risk, um, uh, especially if the if those staking activities are taking place uh, here in the United States, um, and, and and in particular, it seems as as if staking is is the performance of some kind of service, uh, which if performed in the United States uh, certainly seems to to give rise to a, a U.S. trader business. One would think. With respect to delegated staking, however, there there, uh, there is a position out there that uh, there is no U.S. trader business, um, and, and many in the market seem to be taking this uh, non-U.S. trader business uh, position. It's certainly not without risk, um, but th there is that position. And if one gets 
past this U.S. Trader business point, then you know there is the FDAP withholding uh, issue to consider, um, and it, it does seem as if staking rewards are FDAP of of some kind, uh, but sourcing these rewards uh, isn't easy to do. And again, you know, is is the validation activity a service? And if so, uh, should one therefore look to see where the staking activity is taking place? And and if that's right, how how do you even uh, do that here? Um, and you know, if one believes in the in the self created property theory that that Josh had mentioned previously, um, perhaps sourcing is based solely on the later sale of the reward. It's worth mentioning there there is a treasury regulation that uh, out there that basically says that if sourcing cannot uh, be determined at the time of payment, then it's presumed uh, to be U.S. sourced, and, and this presumption could could be a real problem uh, or issue here in, in in the crypto you know staking scenario. And and given this ambiguity, many. Um, especially in the delegated staking uh, context, are, are trying to set things up so that all staking activity, you know, meaning the computers, nodes, personnel, et cetera, uh, is clearly being performed outside of the United States so as to be foreign sourced and therefore not subject to, uh, to this 30% FDAP uh, withholding. To U.S. tax exempts, uh, th- there is the, the Unrelated Business Taxable Income, or UBTI, uh, issue to deal with. And, you know, U.S. tax exempts, although they're generally exempt from tax, they, they are subject to tax on their UBTI. And here, if if a U.S. tax exempt is, is self-staking, it certainly seems uh, as if the staking rewards are UBTI. But what about rewards earned in, 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 in a delegated staking uh, context? And, and here, uh, the code, the Internal Revenue Code, exempts certain investment income from UBTI. Uh, in particular, uh, there is a code provision, Section 512B, that exempts uh, gains from the sale of property, dividends, interest, rents, and royalties. And, and the idea here is that certain passive type investment returns uh, earned by U.S. tax exempts are not subject to tax. With delegated staking, it does seem as if the staking rewards are somewhat passive in that the U.S. tax exempt is no longer performing any type of validation service. Uh, you know, that activity is now being done by someone else. Um, that being said, you know, the staking rewards here do not neatly fit with any of the Section 512B uh, exceptions, and, and therefore it does seem as if it's risky uh, to rely on, on, on Section 512B to avoid uh, UBTI. Um, the bottom line is, is is that there is a significant UBTI risk uh, with uh, staking uh, rewards earned by, by U.S. tax exempts. Thanks, Pete. So there's definitely a lot of tax issues to consider before engaging in staking activities. I, I want to thank both of you for your time and expertise today. Also, for our listeners who want to know more about the tax issues surrounding staking, Pete and Josh have an article on the subject of staking in the latest edition of the Journal of Taxation of Financial Products. If you don't have access to this journal, please reach out to one of us and we can get a copy to you. From all of us at the KPMG Digital Asset Practice, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Digital Asset Tax Talk with KPMG. And be sure to subscribe to this series to be notified of new episodes.